I don't think we can learn to live with climate changes. We will have to adopt to the forces of nature that actually dictates new ways of living. And that is going to be a interdisciplinary approach to mitigate those changes. If we don't, I think we're in trouble. But what has struck me as the couple of days have progressed is the effect that working in an interdisciplinary environment has upon the individual researcher. So I've gone from kind of interdisciplinarity changing the world to changing the individual who then goes on to change the world. And that's the kind of lesson that I've had over the last couple of days. It is clear to me now that interdisciplinarity needs spaces in which it can be experimented with, in which different types of formats of working together can be tried out. And institutes for advanced study, I think, are particularly well-placed to be such places because of the investment in time and space that researchers make when they come to an institute for advanced study. Welcome to SCAS Talks, a podcast by the Swedish Collegium for Advanced Study. This is the second episode in our series SCAS Talks Spotlight, a series where we focus on a specific topic. You just heard some of the reflections of Søren Rydkeding, Martin Klunen and Christina Garsten after the workshop with the title Beyond Advanced Studies, Interdisciplinary Theory and Research Careers. This was the first workshop out of three organized by the Swedish Collegium for Advanced Study, Aarhus Institute for Advanced Studies and Tulke Institute for Advanced Studies. My name is Nathalie von der Lea and after three eventful days at the workshop, plenty of discussions, food for thought and new ideas and insights, I asked the principals of the three organizing institutes for advanced studies to share some of their reflections with me and our listeners of course. What did they learn and what will they take home with them? What role do the institutes play for interdisciplinarity, not only for the benefit of scholarly research, but also for society? And what is going to happen during the next two workshops? These were some of the things we talked about. I first talked to Søren Rydkeding, principal of the Aarhus Institute of Advanced Study in Denmark. During his closing remarks, he gave us an insight about different fears and challenges during different decades. Well, it's just a part of our nature to be concerned. And I remember growing up in the 70s, we were seriously concerned that nuclear war could break out because the number of nuclear missiles standing at the different borders I live in Denmark, and we were basically surrounded by nuclear missiles. Hopefully we didn't have any in Denmark at that time, you never know. And then came the 80s, where the HIV virus was a really serious concern. And maybe in the 90s, the combination of greed and pollution started to show its not so pleasant face. And we realized that we might actually destroy the planet we live on. And then many, many more came Of course, now we have the climate crisis that we basically began to understand in the zeros and tens. And now with the uh, virus we just had, the pandemic, there's a new sort of threat on the horizon. 
So we have always faced these big, big challenges. I do believe that the climate crisis is not something which is just over. That's something that needs to be addressed very, very carefully. And that will be a far more radical change than any of the other challenges we have. You could say with some truth that these challenges have not disappeared. We have learned to live with them. I don't think we can learn to live with the climate changes. We will have to adopt to the forces of nature that actually dictates new ways of living. And that is going to be a interdisciplinary approach to mitigate those changes. And if we don't, I think we're in trouble. So to get back to the balance between being prepared and actually working directly on missions and challenges, I think we are in a situation now where we should actually maybe mobilize the scientific communities to contribute to actually avoiding the very, very serious consequences of the climate crisis. I think that, in particular, the younger generation expect that we do so. We should think about that without forgetting the balance between the basic science, the preparedness and the problem and mission-driven challenges that we also have to solve. I think we have to do something. I have chaired a, a funding committee in Denmark handing out money for what we call green transition, the transition of society in the green direction. I see sort of a preparedness among the researchers to actually contribute. So it's a very positive approach that they actually say, well, we would like to contribute. Of course, we also offered them money, so it helps. <laughs> We've just spent two and a half days on this topic of the workshop interdisciplinarity. And you are one of the co-organizers. What's your takeaway from this workshop? Well, it's interesting because the original idea was to allow the different Nordic institutes to meet in an open meeting where others also interested could come with. But the idea and the question was whether actually the way we have organized our societies in the Nordic countries, will that actually be beneficial for the creation of an interdisciplinary academic environment, which is what the Institute of Advanced Studies should aim to be. And this idea of bringing people together in an open, trusting environment for knowledge is very interesting. And the different perspectives we have heard over the last two and a half days is really sort of very inspiring to us in the quest of finding out who we actually are. There's a lot of different institutes doing different things, and it's interesting to see if we share values and if we can actually also inspire each other. And we do definitely share values. The values that if you bring people together and remove the barriers and teach them to speak their different languages, I don't mean languages like English and French, but I mean the scientific languages, the cultures of their fields, then things actually happen. So the different institutes provide the space and the time to do so. And I think that will be very valuable. I have a background from the natural sciences. I find it very valuable to be hanging around in this environment and taking in all these other perspectives that I've never thought about before. Explaining what you do to people who do not speak your scientific language is very interesting. I have sort of a, you could call it a party trick, but I like sometimes to ask people to have 
very short presentation, perhaps one slide or one page, and then ask somebody else to give the presentations. So if you're a chemist and study the atmosphere, and then you ask a philosopher to perhaps present your slides, you force people to actually understand what are we, well, maybe not understand deeply, but at least sort of get an insight into how people think differently across fields. And it's very valuable. Every time a fellow leaves our institute, we have an interview. And they all say that, well, maybe, maybe the most valuable thing of being at an institute of advanced study is the ability to talk to somebody else who do not speak your language. I imagine so. During the course of this workshop, what has challenged your own views on interdisciplinarity? Has anything been thought provocative, so to say? Yes, definitely. First of all, I learned a lot from people who have the experience in working with interdisciplinarity. And I think that maybe I have to rethink whether interdisciplinarity is something that is within a single scientist or interdisciplinarity is something that works in a group of scientists which are each disciplinary, so to speak. So I think that the idea of one person being interdisciplinary might not be as fruitful as the idea of a group of people being interdisciplinary. What do you think about the future for the Institutes for Advanced Study? What should happen next? We should engage in the challenge of telling the surrounding society and universities how much value we can contribute. I think we have just seen an example of of an interdisciplinary effort. Within 18 months, a vaccine was developed that basically has helped to, to limit and, well, for some time at least, stop the pandemic we have at the moment. I think it's a wonderful opportunity to actually explain to people the values of having a scientific preparedness for things we don't know about. And this challenge of actually solving problems when they appear but also being ready for problems which we do not know of. So having a preparedness of being able to solve future problems that we cannot foresee, which is one of the most important things about basic research, I think. So now we have a chance to tell people it works. And the Institute of Advanced Studies might be a very well-designed place for actually enforcing this development to the interdisciplinary approach both to the problems we know, but also the problems we don't know of. The next workshop is at your institute. What will happen there? We will probably be inspired to change the program a little bit after the workshop here. And I think that the ideas of the cultural barriers between the different fields, I spoke about language before, the fact that, that if you're in political science, if you're in physics, if you're in psychology, if in, you're in literature studies, whatever, then the different languages you speak, there is a cultural barrier in there. So I think that we will focus a little bit on that. We have already signed researchers up that can actually give examples of how they work with those barriers. So that's an interesting thing. And then I think the interplay between disciplines and multidisciplines, we have to, we have to look at that again to get some examples of these challenges that people have also described. One of the many valuable comments here at the end was that we should also face the challenges we have, that we work in university systems, which is based on department more or less defined due to educational needs, and we should maybe be better at facing the, the challenges. 
in the interactions with the departments and the disciplines. Yes, very interesting. And we have to tear down some walls. Yes, or build new ones, or <laughs> at least be careful not to build new ones, I think, yeah. There's also an interesting historical perspective that many of the disciplines we have now were not disciplines 20 years ago, and the disciplines 20 years ago were not disciplines 40 years ago. And I think that if we can get an historical account of how things grew at universities, I guess when universities started, there were only theology. And then came the, the medical schools, and then from the medical schools, the natural sciences. Now it's growing and growing and growing, and it's interesting to understand the sort of the evolution of new disciplines and the importance of also diversity in the disciplines. I think we can find someone who will speak about that. That would be very good. Evolution and diversity are two very important words here also to go forward. It is probably safe to say that everybody at the workshop agreed that the Institutes for Advanced Study can provide an environment for different forms of multi- and interdisciplinarity. But what about the individual scholar? And how can we use interdisciplinarity to explain and even solve complex problems and thereby counteract the increasing rise of populism? Martin Klunen, director of the Turku Institute for Advanced Study, has given this some thought. Over the last three days or so, if I go back to where I was when I entered the workshop, I thought that, and I still think that, some of the problems that humanities faces are obviously so complex and wicked as a phrase that they need approaches from more than one discipline. And I still firmly believe that, and I think we saw evidence of that. But what has struck me as the couple of days have progressed is the effect that working in an interdisciplinary environment has upon the individual researcher. Again, coming into the, to the workshops, I'd heard a lot of kind of negative things, you know, that you can end up being a jack of all trades and master of none, that you don't really know what your discipline is, that you feel rootless, that there aren't enough outlets for um, publications of an interdisciplinary nature, that, you know, when you apply for jobs, people say, oh, well, they're not really a political scientist or they're not really a biologist, they're this kind of weird hybrid. However, I think that at least for some, and probably most, people who come to an Institute for Advanced Studies for an extended time, absolute minimum of a semester, and then are exposed to ideas from other disciplines and have to confront things that they would never have confronted had they just stayed within their discipline and within their department. I firmly believe, and I suspect that there was some evidence of this, that it makes them better scholars that somehow you can understand the world in more complex and more nuanced ways than you could do if you were simply rooted in your own discipline. So I've gone from kind of interdisciplinarity changing the world to changing the individual who then goes on to change the world. And that's the kind of lesson that I've had over the last couple of days. Very interesting reflection because I've also heard that from other guests on the podcast who say that they go back doing their own research in a different way. At one level, you just know more stuff. You're just confronted with things that you have never thought about, be that the experiences of minority groups in certain countries or whatever, or a whole different way of approaching a research problem. I guess some of the examples that I've noticed in TS is people 
who are kind of amazed by literary scholars who do really close textual analysis and really look at one paragraph in a novel, whereas they're used to doing more kind of statistical approaches and that sort of thing. Sometimes people just go, wow, that's interesting, and move on. And sometimes people think, oh, actually, I could approach this slightly differently in the future. Yeah, maybe I will. That at least is the hope of forcing people. And in TS, we do force them to come to see presentations that are nothing to do with their own work. Does that always work? It doesn't. We can think of ways of trying to make it work. But I think institutes for advanced studies are at their best when they force people to confront what they do, and maybe adjust. You're heading home this afternoon. What do you really take away with you? Just the value of Institutes for Advanced Studies as kind of safe spaces to pursue all sorts of academic work, and the value of Institutes for Advanced Studies. Now, there are a very diverse set of institutes, even within Finland, let alone within the Nordic countries and the world. Some of them are still quite idealistic, such as Princeton, and some are much more pragmatic and are about showcasing the institution within which they're host and so on. But I do think there is a great appetite still for Institutes for Advanced Studies. So we heard, for example, of the fact that Tampere has just got a new Institute of Advanced Studies. It had one before, but now it's, it's a new university and it's decided we want one. We also know about the growth of Institutes for Advanced Studies in China and so on and so forth. So whatever their format, it does seem to be that there's an appetite for these things. But I said they're very diverse, but they do have a lot of common issues about, you know, what are they actually about? (laughs) Who's going to pay for this kind of sometimes seemingly luxurious environment? How long do we have people for? How do we balance the right proportion of international people, local people? How do we balance gender? How do we balance the stage of careers that people are at? You know, do we want to concentrate on younger, earlier scholars? Or do we want to say, well, actually, it's good to have some... uh, older people around to give advice and so on. So all those kind of questions we share in common. And it's not that there's a light answer to many of these questions. There's just you can prioritise certain things and you can look at how other people have done things. Another kind of classic example is if people are applying, what do we expect them to do? What sort of application do they have to make? And then how do we review it? Those sorts of things, they're quite, they're not sometimes not the most exciting issues in the world. (laughs) It's not world-changing things except they might help institutes for advanced studies to function better. As a director of an institute for advanced studies, my interest in this is very different from the fellows themselves. One of the gratifying things of the last couple of days was to see so many fellows from different institutes there as well and to learn about their experiences. Sure. I thought the practical examples that we got to hear about, they were very inspiring. They were. And as I say, I think that's the lesson that I take away is that you know the effect of institute. For example, in TS, one of the things that we didn't have much information about when I started was alumni. And now I think I know where everyone who has been in TS is. You know, over 100 people, 10 have gone on to be professors, 10 associate professors. And so at that kind of level, you know, you can kind of do the stats and work out who's working well and so on and say, aren't we a wonderful thing? I think it would be great to do much more research on the lived experience of being in institutes for advanced studies. The other lesson I taught, they're radically under-researched. Beyond Witt, who, who was the former director here, has written a couple of very, very good articles about this. A bit of Padberg who spoke, there's done a kind of overview. There's not a great deal else in terms of you know, people thinking about institutes for advanced studies and researching them. So I think there's a kind of gap in the market there that I may try and exploit. <laughs> at one level at least, institutes for advanced studies are elitist institutions. 
you know, we look for the best scholars to come and do the best research as we can. So we don't want the run-of-the-mill people. We want exceptional people. That can sometimes go against the grain of kind of Nordic equality and, so, you know, where people sometimes don't want to stand out and that sort of thing. There is a tension there, and I think but maybe that just means that Nordic institutes for advanced studies are under more kind of pressure to prove their value. I do think that institutes for advanced studies have to be responsible. For all my love of blue skies thinking and so on and so forth on the pursuit of knowledge, and I do kind of think that, as Flexner, the founder of the Princeton Institute, said, this so-called useless knowledge can often be very useful. But I think we have to be accountable as well, and we have to show our value. And I'm very relaxed about that. Because whoever the funder is will want to see that their money is well spent. I think that's increasingly the case in the sort of societies we live in now. I think the other thing, you know, discovered in my many years as director is just the question of balance all the time. The question of what are your priorities here? Because we balance competing interests all the time. We want our researchers to go out and do groundbreaking research. But we also expect them to be good colleagues as well and to be a part of the community. That can be quite hard to balance. I mean, I think that SCAS does a wonderful job in terms of the lunches. It's very interesting that all the SCAS people mentioned the lunches. But that's obviously a key part of it. And as I said during my kind of summing up thing, for me it was just wonderful after two years of COVID to come and meet people again. And I know the online world presents all sorts of opportunities as well. But I think it's very hard to socialise online still. And the people who are online at this workshop definitely missed out on you know on having coffee on having the sort of conversation that able to have now because i can look you in the eye and smile at you and that's and that's and also you know i don't think in an online world argues enough we're too deferential when we're online i don't want to argue all the time but i think it's easier to argue when you're in the room but i recognize that the online world can provide more opportunities but it's been great to be here in person. I totally agree with you. It's, it's nice to feel the energy in the room and everybody also having the kind of discussions where people really have different opinions. And I think that would have been harder to have online. And also, obviously, the people who set up SCAS realised that the informal part is probably more important than the formal part. But we can all go and give great talks and have people applaud and all that sort of thing. But it's the conversations afterwards. It's been wonderful to do again. The word community is much overused, but I did feel part of a community for two or three days in ways that an online community is not the same. Sorry. Do you have any thoughts on the future for the Institutes for Advanced Study? I hope that these workshops are a kind of stepping stone to more Nordic cooperation. I think we're kind of kicking at an open door there. <laughs> if Institutes for Advanced Studies have a key role to play in interdisciplinary research, and I guess that we all, at least, or at least most of the institutes, aspire to that sort of things. You know, the world seems to me to get increasingly complex at the same time as people want increasingly simple solutions. But if you have to deal with something like COVID, for example, well, obviously the, the health part is the main thing, but then you have to organise it politically and you have to think about logistics and you have to think about educating people and so on and so forth. So you cannot deal with climate change or COVID and all these kind of wicked problems without an interdisciplinary approach. And it just so happens that we like to think we're quite good at that sort of thing. I think the kind of danger of that, however, is that we become too instrumental. You know, we still have to be the place for the blue skies thinking as well. And I think that's very responsible because it is through blue skies thinking that some amazing ideas emerge. On the other hand, I guess we're kind of 
idealistically pragmatic <laughs> or pragmatically idealistic I'm not sure which way around it goes but I think that most of the directors kind of realise that he or she who pays the piper gets the piper to play their tune so we have to play the tune to a certain extent to the people who fund us Sure I mean financing is always an issue of course So this was the first workshop out of three The next one will be in Denmark in Aarhus and the third one will be at your institute in Turku What will happen there? So the next one we'll look at kind of interdisciplinary and kind of practice in terms of networks and collaborations. How do we build those? And I think that the past couple of days have shown us some ways to do that. The one in Talker will be the culmination, so the, the highlight of the three workshops. But there, you know, we do want to think, what have we learned from each other over these three workshops, particularly for the, for the Nordic countries? In his closing remarks, Martin Klunen also addressed the rise of populism and what role the Institutes for Advanced Study can play by providing solutions to complex problems. Being British and kind of coming from a country that's just gone through what I personally think is an absolute disaster with Brexit and seeing very populist voices being expressed there. And then moving to Finland, where I see populist parties getting up to 20% of the vote and with explicitly... Uh, what I would say has been anti-intellectual, to say the least, policies. And really seeking, you know, it seems to me that what populists are able to do is to voice a concern that many of us share, but offer very simplistic solutions. If we only make the foreigners go away, everything will be good again. If we only leave the European Union, everything will be great again. The world doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Fortunately, maybe. So I think what Institutes for Advanced Studies can do is to keep pointing out that Actually, the world's a complex place and that simplistic solutions aren't possible in an increasingly global world. So you have to have nuance and thought and people coming from different angles, sometimes disagreeing, but thinking, okay, we've got a common problem here. How do we address it collectively? That seems to me to be an important role. So the political climate we work in is not necessarily one which is very conducive to institutes for advanced studies. But at the same time, the demand for institutes for advanced studies is growing. So there's a kind of paradox there. So I do think that it's incumbent upon us to keep pointing out that simplistic solutions are unlikely to succeed in the longer term. And so let's fund and support institutions which offer complex approaches to complex problems. But then maybe you have to mediate the complex solutions anyway in a way that's comprehensible yeah. also. One of the interesting things for me personally over the last... 10 to 15 years, I guess, has been that whole question of impact. You can think of academic impact in the kind of instrumental terms that, you know, universities want to say that we're having all this big impact in the world, give us more money, blah, blah, blah. But I do think that it raises questions about academic responsibility, which I think are important questions to ask. How do we engage the public? How do we engage policymakers in, in what we do? These become quite complex processes in and of themselves and go slightly against the kind of blue skies, academic freedom type Princeton model that we had before. But I do think that, you know, at least in Dorka, we've made some attempts to do that by having like open lecture series for the public in the town library and things like that, and trying to, to at least engage a, a wider audience than we would do if we were just on the university campus. You're right, of course, it's not enough just to do the research. We then have to try and think, okay, how do we actually feed this into policy? It does go, as I said, slightly against the grain of all academic work, actually. <laughs> but, but, you know, I remember when this kind of whole agenda came up 15 years or so ago, that all of my colleagues said, 
didn't really want to get their hands dirty in the real world. I understand their hesitation. I just don't think it's an option anymore. And I think the Institutes for Advanced Studies can be places where we can engage with policymakers, politicians, the general public, and debate serious issues in a complex way. Sure, I agree. And of course, I mean, this question is coming from me with the, with the bias of being a science communicator. So, I mean, or a lot of times I'm thinking about that aspect. I mean, you do all the great science, of course, and that's useful and, and good, but you sort of want to reach... I mean, maybe not the ones who are already have their opinion clear in their head and they will never think anything else, but maybe people who are hesitant or who are in between somewhere, in the, in the grey zone of voting yes or no for, for Brexit. Academics need to be able to communicate what they do to anyone and the value of what they do. My research is on the music industries. Why would people care about that? So I have to explain why I think that's, you know, it's the most popular cultural form of the last 50 years or so. It affects everybody's lives. We use music in everything that we do. See, all the big ceremonies in our life, music is involved. Wouldn't you like to know something about why that is the case? It's increasingly part of our job. And obviously, as a director of an institute for advanced studies, I do think a lot about, okay, Toku, what does the Toku public even know about us? And if it does, what does it think about us? I try and get my hands dirty a bit. A few days after the workshop, I met with Christina Garsten, principal at SCAS. We had both had some time to digest the many discussions during the workshop, and she pointed out one of the most important things happening at the workshop, the openness to share thoughts and experiences, and the ambition to create change. Let's hear some of her reflections. Oh, it's been three very inspiring days. It's been so stimulating to discuss this topic that everyone talks so much about, yet we rarely go into depth. What does it really mean? And what does it imply? And how do you organize for interdisciplinarity? And what formats of getting together work for promoting interdisciplinarity? And also, what does it imply for individual researchers? Lots and lots of those issues have been up in the air and we've been discussing them and come a bit further in our understanding of what it is and what it might be and how we can improve the conditions for interdisciplinarity to work. So for me, one of the main takeaways is that it may come in different forms. There is interdisciplinarity that is a kind of the result of disciplines actually engaging deeply with each other and something new emerging out of that, that might come out quite slowly and cumulatively and often serendipitously after a long time of being together, sharing space and time. But there are other ways in which interdisciplinarity can actually emerge from a top-down kind of initiative where somebody decides to pull people together from different disciplines with the intent of actually working on a research topic or on a research object and actually producing something that is named already at the start, an interdisciplinary kind of research approach. That's just two examples. Yes, and we've seen quite some, or we've heard about quite some examples also during this workshop from both younger and older fellows or researchers. 
what stuck with you there? Did you learn something new from those examples that we heard? Yes, actually, those were some of the most interesting parts of the program when we actually got down to the practical experiences of younger researchers. And they are quite varied, their experiences. That was, I shouldn't say surprising, but it was most valuable for me to hear how differently they have been exposed to and engaged in interdisciplinary research how varied their experiences are with respect to the readiness of their departments to actually take this on and the willingness of the organizational structures of their respective universities to do something constructive with it. So we've seen examples of successful initiatives of starting a new research program, a new research center, but we've also seen how careful universities might be when it really comes down to deciding on and supporting initiatives of the interdisciplinary kind. So from all these discussions, input that we now got during these days, how has your own view on interdisciplinarity been challenged or changed? Yes, I came out of the workshop with a more multifaceted understanding of interdisciplinarity. I must say, I mean, we always knew this is complicated. This is a very complex phenomenon, a very contested phenomenon, but also very promising. And I come out of the workshop with an even more complex view of interdisciplinarity. But it is clear to me now that interdisciplinarity needs spaces in which it can be experimented with in which different types of formats of working together can be tried out. And institutes for advanced study, I think, are particularly well-placed to be such places because of the investment in time and space that researchers make when they come to an institute for advanced study. So I think we should take this mission quite seriously and work on continuing to experiment with different organizational modes, different ways of getting at interdisciplinarity. The slow mode, the fast mode, different types of, let's say, formats in terms of seminars, workshops, topical research groups, whatnot. Did you get any ideas of new things to do at SCAS? How to implement interdisciplinarity, how to sort of promote interdisciplinary research here? Yes, there were some ideas that came out of the workshops. For example, there is an ongoing trend within Institutes for Advanced Study now to actually take on board thematic groups for shorter times than a semester or a full academic year. We are already trying this out, but I am quite convinced that we will move forward with actually actively pulling together teams consisting of different disciplines that would have the opportunity to come to SCAS for a limited period of time, say three weeks, to test out an idea, to work together towards a new research proposal or something like that. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. This was the first workshop out of three. What will happen at the next two in Aarhus and Turku? Well, that remains to be seen. (laughs) This will be very exciting. But I think that we will continue to dive deeper into what this means for individual research careers. That's one of the topics. In what way the Institutes for Advanced Study can 
promote interdisciplinary kinds of engagements and also how we can bring something of this back to the established university structure. Possibly also how we might engage with the general public on some topics that might be conducive to engage with interdisciplinarily, I should say, like issues like climate or migration or other topical societal issues. Many have described the Institute for Advanced Studies as a very nice space to be free and do your own thing and pursue the research that you would like to do and also meet others. I've heard that a lot. I guess that's something you want to keep? That's very much something we would like to keep and nurture and get even better at. I think it's important in today's academic landscape to have basis where we can concentrate on our ideas, developing ideas, proposals, dive deeper into analysis, go deeper into the implications of our results, and also have the opportunity to discuss this with a broader group of other scholars, and why not from other disciplines and from other countries, so as to test our ideas in a broader setting and to get impulses from other scholars as well. That's really an idea that I think we should be careful to keep and develop. Would you like to add anything about the workshop or about interdisciplinarity that's on your mind? Yes, thank you. I would like to add that I was very happy to experience the openness that we had in our discussions over these last three days, that people came to the workshop with an open mind, so as not to be so stuck in the webs that we have spun in our own thinking, to step out of the comfort zone and to think reflexively about these issues, because interdisciplinarity does not come easily and it has certain implications that one needs to consider. It's an important topic to be discussed seriously. That's what I'm saying, essentially. And it wouldn't have been constructive if we had come to this workshop with our minds set, defending the models that we already are working with or in. So I'm very happy about the openness that the workshop showed. That was really noticeable, I thought, even as an not real outsider, but bystander maybe, could really see how something happened in the room and how people were listening and also really changing their views a little bit at some points and so on. So I thought that was excellent. I'm glad you noticed. I did too. And it really felt like we were actually in discussion together, really working on these issues and not just defending or propagating, advocating something, but actually reflecting thoroughly on them and I'm really happy about that. I hope that will continue over the next two workshops. You have listened to SCAS Talk Spotlight and I would like to thank Søren Rydkeiding, Martin Klunen and Christina Gorsten for taking the time to talk to me and of course thank you for listening. Check out the previous episode on the workshop on interdisciplinarity in case you've missed it. There you get to hear more about interdisciplinarity and how to build an interdisciplinary research career from Sverke Salin, Rita Padberg, Merja Polvinen and Kerstin Salin. In our regular episodes of SCAS Talks, 
I interview fellows or scientists associated to SCAS about their research and related issues. The question about the multi- and interdisciplinary environment at the Collegium is one of my favorite, since there are so many experiences and ways to think about this. For me, SCAS and this podcast is a place for learning, both about exciting topics and about the way scholarly research is conducted. Until now, we have covered a wide variety of themes. The coronavirus pandemic, the study of languages, diversity, global governance, the brain, Africa, life in outer space, life sciences, infrastructures, and citizen and state relations in Asia. We are sure that there is something of interest for everybody. Please listen if you are not a regular listener already. You can find SCAS Talks on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify and most podcast apps. Thanks for listening and bye for now.